Good afternoon, colleagues. We're going to start today's business, as usual, with First Minister's questions. And before we turn to the questions themselves, could I invite the First Minister to update Parliament on the latest situation with the COVID pandemic? Uh, thanks, Presiding Officer. For uh, the final time of this Parliament, I'll give a very quick update on today's statistics. 692 new cases were reported yesterday, 3.1% of all tests carried out, and that takes the total number of confirmed cases to 215,075. 321 people are in hospital, 20 fewer than yesterday, and 31 people are receiving intensive care. That is three more than yesterday. Um, I also regret to say that in the past 24 hours, a further three deaths were registered, and that takes the total number of deaths under this daily measurement to 7,562. National Records of Scotland has also just published its weekly update that includes cases where COVID is a suspected or contributory cause of death. And today's update shows that by Sunday, the total number of registered deaths linked to COVID under the wider definition was 9,897. 65 of those deaths were registered last week, which is 39 fewer than in the week before, and represents a fall of more than 50% in the past two weeks, which is further very welcome evidence that the vaccination programme is now reducing deaths in the community as well as in care homes. That said, the total number of deaths also reminds us of the dreadful toll that COVID has taken. And I again want to send my condolences to everyone who has been bereaved. Uh, I'll also quickly update on the vaccination programme. As of this morning, 2,249,612 people had received a first dose. Uh, that's an increase of 34,940 since yesterday. And that means we are on track by the end of today to have given a first dose to more than half of the adult population, which is a very significant milestone. In addition, 13,581 people yesterday received a second dose, which brings uh, the total uh, second doses now to 249,252. Now, let me just uh, note that from today, Public Health Scotland are publishing a daily breakdown of first and second doses within priority group six. That comprises adults with a particular underlying health condition and unpaid carers. And they're also providing more detailed figures on vaccinations for health workers and social care workers uh, broken down into those two distinct categories and they have also just published for the first time an analysis of vaccinations by ethnicity and deprivation level. Uh, returning though finally to today's figures, um, it, they mean that virtually all over 65 year olds uh, have now received a first dose and so too have 93% in the 60 to 64 year old age group. 63% in the 55 to 59-year-old age group and 41% in the 50 to 54-year-old age group. Um, today, we are also publishing an update to the vaccine deployment plan that confirms we are on course to offer first doses to all of the priority GCVI groups by mid-April and also confirms that supplies permitting, we will have offered a first dose to all adults by the end of July. Uh, so all of this, I think, uh, is very encouraging and very hopeful indeed. And it means that as we take part in this final session of First Minister's questions of this parliamentary term, a return to greater normality for the country is now much more in sight. Of course, all of that remains dependent on us continuing to suppress the virus. So for now, it's vital that every 
everyone continues to follow the stay-at-home rule, uh, except for essential purposes, and to continue to follow all of the facts guidance. That's how we will continue to protect ourselves and each other, and it is how we will get back, uh, I hope soon, to a much more normal way of life. Uh, so my thanks again to everyone for all of the cooperation and sacrifice. Thank you, First Minister. Uh, do all members who wish to ask a supplementary press their request to speak buttons? I call on Ruth Davidson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. May I add also my condolences to those of the First Minister and all those who have died, and to thank all those that are helping in the health and vaccine effort as we tackle COVID across the country. Presiding Officer, there have been three major publications released this week, and while questions about the lack of accountability and the serious flaws in the government's handling of sexual harassment complaints remains over the first two, Today, in my last FMQs, I want to make sure that the third document, the Audit Scotland report on the attainment gap, doesn't go unexamined. Before we get into the detail of that, at today's Education Committee, the Deputy First Minister said he was nervous about the use of the phrase catch-up when talking about pupils affected by the pandemic, as it assumes that all children have fallen behind. Does the First Minister agree with that view, or does she share my concern that everything possible must be done to help pupils catch up after the better part of a year out of the classroom. First Minister. Well, I'll come on directly to that question, but can I say, first of all, Presiding Officer, Ruth Davidson could have chosen to ask me about education in any one of the previous weeks. Instead, she has chosen to indulge in smears instead of focusing on the issues that people want. So I'm actually, I'm actually pleased uh, that Ruth Davidson is back on the issue of education and attainment. And of course, what is her last FMQs before she goes to the unelected House of Lords. Uh, on the issue of attainment, the Audit Scotland uh, report this week uh, had lots for us to think about as we head to the election and as a new government uh, takes office after the election. It narrates much progress, uh, both in raising attainment and in closing the attainment gap. It obviously recognises the impact that COVID has had on that progress, but also, I think, can give us confidence that the key building blocks are in place through the attainment challenge, increased funding, uh, increased numbers of teachers. Uh, on the specific issue, though, yes, I do agree with the Deputy First Minister. I think it is really important that we do support young people to catch up on their education. Um, and the Scottish Government has announced significant additional investment supporting uh, increased numbers of teachers and a whole host of other initiatives to help with that. But I also think, and I make no apology for this, I also think it's really important that we recognise on the wider well-being of young people and that we recognise the impact not just on their education of COVID, which has been really significant, but also the impact on their mental health, uh, being away from their friends and their grandparents and family. And we take that holistic approach. So, for example, uh, we will be introducing a summer programme uh, backed by £20 million of additional investment that will allow us to focus on that broader well-being of children uh, so that we do make sure they recover and catch up in that wider sense. Education is part of that, but it is not the only part of that. Ruth Davison. Officer, I think a bit of contrition might be in order from the First Minister after the failures of her government that have been exposed, rather than a lap of honour or indeed uh, a contrition drive. Now, I just don't know how the Deputy First Minister can say that he is concerned about the words catch-up, because there is simply no way that pupils who would otherwise have spent the entire year in class can have done anything 
other than fall behind through no fault of their own or their teachers over the last 12 months. The only question is how far. And while we respect the, the summer work, we want to know what else her government is going to do to turn it around. And it's not as if there wasn't already a serious problem in Scotland with a deeply entrenched attainment gap. This week's Audit Scotland report says that the attainment gap remains wide and that improvements are not happening quickly enough. They specifically say that those in the most challenging circumstances have been most affected by the impact of school closures. And those same disadvantaged children have less access to remote learning and to online resources. This government has had years in charge of education. So why is progress on closing the attainment gap so slow? First Minister. Well, first of all, you know, Ruth Davidson has spent weeks misrepresenting me. Um, and there are many legitimate questions that should have been and have been asked of me. And I have shown plenty of contrition uh, where that contrition uh, is merited. But Ruth Davidson, uh, I know there is division. I, I hear on the grapevine there's lots of division within the Conservative Party about their tactics over the last few days. Uh, so moving on from misrepresenting me, Ruth Davidson is now misrepresenting the Deputy First Minister. I I'm really not sure what many people could find to disagree with in uh, the view that yes, we should help young people catch up in their education, but that as we do that, we should help young people recover from the overall wider impact that COVID has had on them. That's the point the Deputy First Minister was making. Um, and I find it really hard to see how and why Ruth Davidson would disagree with that. The Audit Scotland report, of course, has much to say about uh, progress. Uh, for example, uh, that uh, at the national level, exam performance and other attainment measures have improved. There has been an increase in the types of opportunities, awards and qualifications available to children and an increase in the number awarded. Uh, but it does focus also um, on the impact of COVID and that is why we are so uh, focused on making sure that we deal with that in the widest sense. So that's why we've committed almost £400 million of new funding over this year and next as part of education recovery. That's funding a range of different actions, including the recruitment of 1,400 additional teachers, 200 additional support staff, new digital devices, youth support work, all of the things that we need to do to support young people. It's also supporting the introduction of a £20 million pupil equity funding premium that will be part of record investment through the Attainment Scotland Fund. So in the next parliament, I hope to be standing here, that's up to the Scottish people, but while Ruth Davidson is off uh, taking £300 a day to sit in the unelected House of Lords, those of us in this chamber will be getting on with the job of improving education for all. Ms Davidson, before, just before we continue, I appreciate this is a, it's a political exchange and I always allow some latitude, but the First Minister twice mentioned the House of Lords. I, I think the point has been made. No, no, it's a political exchange. I get it. I do understand it. However, the point has been made. I'd rather it wasn't so personal with Davidson. Gallant, but not required, Presiding Officer. Um, Presiding Officer, the First Minister does turn a good line on this. My aim, to put it very bluntly, is to close the attainment gap, not by a bit, but to close the attainment gap completely. That was more than five years ago, but as a promise, it's proven worthless. And the government was running out of solutions well before the pandemic struck. 
The Audit Scotland report criticises the slow rate of improvement, and it does highlight the Attainment Fund, but it highlights that the Attainment Scotland Fund needs to change. Reading and writing are the basic core skills of every pupil. But the attainment gap for literacy in challenge areas increased from 2017 to 2018 and increased again from 2018 to 2019. Now, seven months ago, after the last return of pupils to the classroom, the Scottish Conservatives were calling for measures to help get them back up to speed. 3,000 extra teachers, a national tutoring service and an independent expectorate to make sure that schools were getting back on track. All ignored, all while our children are continuing to pay the price for government complacency. Five years ago, Nicola Sturgeon said she was going to shut the attainment gap completely. Can she now tell the country when that will be? First Minister. Well, if the Scottish people uh, re-elect me to be First Minister, uh, then I will continue the work that we have been doing over the five years to improve attainment and close the attainment gap. If you look at the first five years of the Scottish Attainment Challenge programme, uh, there is evidence that almost all of the short and medium term outcomes have been achieved. There's been demonstrable progress on several of the long term measures to close the attainment gap. So for primary pupils, uh, the gap in literacy and numeracy has narrowed. Uh, for S3 pupils, the numeracy gap uh, has narrowed. The gap in the proportion of young people in education, employment and training has narrowed year on year. Uh, the gap between the most and the least deprived pupils uh, achieving at least one pass or more at level five has gone from 33.3 uh, percentage points uh, to 20.8 percentage points. And I could uh, go on. Progress made. Progress hampered by a global pandemic. That's why we're investing. That's why we're not just talking about recruiting more teachers. We have recruited more teachers. Uh, the spend, and this is shown in the Audit Scotland report uh, on education in Scotland, has gone up uh, by 5% uh, in real terms. We've got the highest spending uh, in per head of any of the UK nations. We've got the highest number of teachers since 2008, actually the highest number of primary teachers since 1980. So we'll get on uh, with the hard work of improving attainment and closing the attainment gap. And at risk of upsetting you, presiding officer, which I would never uh, want to do, Ruth Davidson, I'm sure, will be watching us from afar. Ruth Davidson. Nicola Sturgeon called closing the attainment gap, and I quote, her sacred responsibility. And this audit report, Scotland report is clear that the attainment gap that was meant to close is just as wide as ever. And who is to blame on this vital issue? Well, it can't be the party that's been in full control of our education system for the past 14 years. No, when confronted by more than a decade of failing Scotland, we heard this government's only solution on Monday. It was another independence referendum bill because that's all they've got. So with my last question in this chamber to Nicola Sturgeon, let me ask her this. How many times will she demand another independence referendum before she finally gets round to closing the education gap? First Minister. Well, of course, there'll be another independence referendum if the people of Scotland vote for another independence referendum. It is presiding officer called democracy which I know is a principle that Ruth Davidson perhaps doesn't recognise these days as much as she might have done one day. It's not me, presiding officer, that is running away from responsibility and accountability. I'm about to put myself before the Scottish people and I will uh, put before the Scottish people my record in office. I will say to the Scottish people where we haven't made as much progress as we wanted to make, uh, why that is the case. And I will put forward a positive case 
for the future. Uh, I will put forward the plans that will see us continue uh, to improve attainment and close the attainment gap, continue to improve the health service, continue to support economic recovery and, yes, continue to support plans to allow this country to choose its own future so that we can build that recovery based firmly on the values of a majority of people in Scotland, not the values of Ruth Davidson and her Westminster bosses. But let me say, since it was her final question, that I wish genuinely Ruth Davidson well. Uh, five years ago, she, five years ago, Ruth Davidson was trying to persuade people she was the next First Minister. That didn't quite work out, but I hope she has a happy time in the House of Lords, presiding officer. <laughs> Thank you. Question to Anas Sawar. Can I join the First Minister and Ruth Davidson in sending our condolences to all those who have lost a loved one and saying thank you to all our heroes on the front line? Presiding officer, there has been a lot of focus on two reports this week, but no matter how devastating they were or could have been, nothing is more devastating than this one. On Monday, the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital case note review was published. It was looking into infections in children and young people who were receiving treatment in the cancer ward at the Royal Hospital for Children. Its findings were heartbreaking. It found almost 40 infections were most likely linked to the hospital environment, and tragically, they played a part in the death of two children. We would never have got to this point if it wasn't for the bravery of NHS whistleblowers. But there are still lots of unanswered questions. Can the First Minister confirm that every family of a child who had an infection due to the hospital environment has been informed, particularly the two families of the two children that tragically died. First Minister. Well, can I first of all agree with the characterisation of this report? Can I also agree that there are questions that still require to be answered and there are undoubtedly questions uh, that families uh, want to be answered, which is why, of course, uh, that we have uh, instructed a full public inquiry into this matter. The inquiry was formally launched on uh, the 3rd of August last year and, of course, we look forward to that inquiry uh, doing its work in the months to come. Uh, I am pleased that the Oversight Board has published its final report. Um, the final report sets out a number of failings of the Greater Glasgow and Clyde uh, Health Board and a series of recommendations which the Government expect the Board to take forward and to implement. I also welcome the publication of the case note uh, review overview report. That was uh, essential uh, that those most deeply affected by the events at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital had their voices heard and as far as possible at this stage their questions uh, answered. In terms of uh, families, uh, as uh, Anas Sarwar I'm sure is aware, the expert panel is now preparing individual reports uh, for families affected um, and they are expected to be issued to the families uh, in the week uh, beginning the 12th of April uh, in order uh, that the families don't have only the information from the overview report but specific information uh, related to the circumstances in which their uh, own children were placed. And I understand what the First Minister is saying and I welcome the public uh, inquiry, uh, but this has been far too long for families to be informed of the possible uh, outcomes for their children. We have a duty of candour law in Scotland and that means there is a legal duty to inform all families. Uh, I would suggest there have been breaches of that duty of candour law up until now. Uh, one of those families is the Darick family. Kimberly Darick's 10-year-old daughter Millie Main had leukaemia and was in recovery, but sadly caught a deadly waterborne infection and died. 
For years, Kimberly was never told the true cause of her child's death. Nothing I have done in my time in this parliament has been more important or more difficult, presenting officer, than raising the case of Millie Main. I promised then that I would not rest until I got answers and justice for Millie and all the families affected. Four years on from Millie's death, we are finally starting to get answers. Millie's family have demanded a fatal accident inquiry. They understand the delays due to COVID, but it is unfair to prolong their grief. I know the First Minister cannot direct the Lord Advocate, but given the findings in this report, does she agree there must now be that fatal accident inquiry? First Minister. Can I say a number of things? And I'm genuinely trying to be as helpful as I can be within the constraints of, of my responsibilities. Uh, firstly, I agree, and I think this comes through the uh, overview report, is that amongst the lessons to be learned by the Health Board are lessons around transparency and openness. And I think that's a point that has been very firmly and clearly made, and one that I would expect the Health Board uh, to reflect on very, very seriously. Secondly, in terms of Millie's family, and I, I know Anas Sarwar has worked uh, closely with Millie's family and uh, Millie's mum in particular, uh, but I would say uh, this uh, to uh, her family and indeed to the families of all the children affected, uh, that there is a determination on the part of me and the government as well to get the answers that are required, but also to make sure that lessons are learned. Uh, and we will not rest until that is done as well. Uh, Millie's care was reviewed as part of the case note review. Um, and uh, as I said in my initial answer, uh, the expert panel is now preparing individual reports and that will include uh, Millie. I, I know Millie's family, as is their right, uh, is engaged in legal proceedings, um, and I, I don't want to say anything that would uh, obviously uh, prejudice any of that. Finally, on the issue of a fatal accident inquiry, I, uh, it is not a decision for me as to whether there should be a fatal accident inquiry, and it is, I think, important recognising the separation of powers that nor do I see anything that could be seen to be putting undue influence on those whose decision that is, which is the law officers. That said, I completely understand and I completely sympathise with the view of Millie's family that there should be a fatal accident inquiry. And I'm sure the strength of that feeling is understood by the law officers, although they have uh, considerations that they have to weigh in reaching that decision, as they have in all cases. But I absolutely understand why Millie's family want to see that inquiry, um, and I understand why. President Officer, we, we can't put all this on the Health Board. There are lessons for the Health Board, but there are also lessons for government. Nicola Sturgeon was the Health Secretary when the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital was commissioned and built. She was the First Minister when the hospital was opened. And we now know that one week before the hospital was opened, an independent report found that the water supply was not safe and posed a high risk of infections. That report was ignored and the hospital was opened anyway. Another example of secrecy and failure that has had devastating consequences. And no one would have known without the bravery of NHS whistleblowers and this being exposed in Parliament. This case is just one of the huge challenges our country was facing even before COVID. There are countless others. And we know that even when lockdown ends and the virus is defeated, we will need to focus all our energy and effort on delivering the strong and fairer recovery that Scotland needs. We can't come back after the 6th of May and carry on on the old arguments. Politicians fighting with each other, 
focused on their own interests and not the national interest. Why can't the First Minister see that? First Minister. Um, I, I don't want to, I'll, I'll come on to that final point because I think it is important actually um, and I've got a particular perspective on that um, after this last year. But on the issues of the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, I, I agree there are lessons for government uh, as there are for the Health Board. Um, and I, I hope that whatever people think about my decisions, whatever they think about my politics or my views on things, uh, this is a government uh, that is prepared to face up to uh, issues that arise and to learn lessons. The public inquiry here that has been instructed is a key part of doing that and that public inquiry will look at all of the issues, uh, all of uh, the, the parties and, and players involved in this uh, and reach its conclusions and I think that is, is right and proper. Um, I, uh, when you're in government, uh, one of the jobs, and I say this with no disrespect to, to other ministers, every ministerial job is a really important one that carries heavy responsibilities. Uh, but when you're health secretary, I think you, as I was, I think you recognise each and every day the particular import of the decisions uh, that you make. So these things weigh heavily and you carry that responsibility uh, very heavily. Um, so I uh, absolutely recognise the importance when things do go wrong of recognising that and learning lessons. On the issue about focusing on the things that matter, again, you know, there are plenty of things that divide us in this chamber. And, and actually, that's the hallmark eh, of a healthy democracy. We should be able to have these debates and these differences of opinion without resorting to personal attack and personal smear. And that's what I hope changes in the next session of Parliament. But every single day over the past year, I have focused... Some people will agree with the decisions I've taken, some people won't. But I have focused 100% on trying to lead a country through a crisis. And that will continue to be my focus for as long as I am First Minister. Um, and I do think it changes your perspective. It's changed my perspective. And as we come back from the election, uh, yes, we have differences of opinion. We should debate these things rigorously. The future of the country really matters. Um, and it really matters that we get it right. The powers in this parliament, uh, the values that guide our recovery. We shouldn't shy away from these debates, but we should do it respectfully. We should do it civilly. And we should all do it recognising that while we might disagree, we all have the best interests of this country at heart. And that's the spirit I hope we will bring back with as those of us coming back after the election into the new session of Parliament. Thank you. Question three, Willie Rennie. Uh, that should be the spirit uh, of the Scottish Parliament. And that is something that I think we all have a responsibility to try and live up to. But Scottish politics in the last year, I'm afraid, has been poisonous and it does need to change. The Audit Scotland report did say the Scottish Government's performance on education is limited and falls short. The First Minister did say she would close the poverty-related attainment gap completely, but that was six years ago. It won't be done overnight, she predicted, but we've had 2,000 overnights since then. The First Minister didn't answer the question earlier, so I ask her again, how much longer would young people have to wait before the First Minister delivers on what she promised? First Minister. Well, look, I intend to continue doing what I 
and the government have done for the last five years is making the progress, taking the decisions, making the investments to uh, progress that. And I expect to see us make significant progress, building on the progress in this parliament uh, over the next parliament, if that's what the people of Scotland, of course, choose. It's right to prioritise raising attainment and closing the attainment gap. Uh, the Audit Scotland report recognises, and I'm quoting here, that uh, the complexity of contributory factors means that it will take time to achieve that. Uh, they also recognise that COVID has undoubtedly hampered progress. Uh, again, I'm quoting, pupils living in the most challenging circumstances have been most affected by school closures. Inequalities have been exacerbated by COVID. But they also narrate progress. Uh, exam performance and other attainment measures improving, uh, the increase in the opportunities, awards, qualifications and the number of those being awarded. Uh, they talk about the increase in uh, school investment uh, over the last few years. Um, so the building blocks are in place, progress has been made uh, and my focus and uh, my determination, if the people of Scotland put their trust in me and us again, is to make sure we continue that in the next session of Parliament. Will you ready? I really don't think the First Minister should be really trumpeting a 36-point poverty-related attainment gap. The First Minister has not been in power for five years. It's been 14 years in power, and she is responsible for the state of education today. And at this rate of progress, it will take 35 years to have equity in education. 35 years. Meanwhile, yet more generations of thousands of young people will be left behind. A yawning attainment gap. 5,000 teachers on casual contracts. Maths and science at a record low in international league tables. An OECD report hidden from the voters on purpose. Even the government's website admits. Even the government website admits. Performance is worsening. Liberal Democrats have put forward a plan to get education back up to the best. We even supported measures in the budget for education. That is how determined we are to turn this around. The First Minister said, judge me on education. Well, now is the time for people to judge. Does the First Minister accept she's had enough time and she's not done enough for young people in Scotland. First Minister. Uh, no, I, I don't accept that, but it's not really up to me. We're about to go into an election campaign where it's up to the Scottish people. And in the election campaign, I will put forward uh, my record, the record of my government. I uh, will be straight with the Scottish people about the challenges we face, where we haven't made enough progress and what we intend to do about it. And on the 6th of May, people in Scotland will make their decision. They will either re-elect this government or they won't. That's democracy. Uh, that's accountability and scrutiny. Um, and it's uh, accountability and scrutiny that I welcome and I relish. But can I say to Willie Rennie, I didn't trumpet anything, but in his continued mischaracterisation of the position with the OECD report, if I can say this very, very gently, uh, he's almost given engaging in Trump-like uh, uh, behaviour there. The OECD has said that we cannot publish a report before it is finalised because they are the authors of the report. Uh, we got their agreement to place a, a summary report in SPICE, um, but the OECD set the conditions of sharing that with Parliament. But anybody who's taken the opportunity uh, 
MD in Parliament who's taken the opportunity to read that will show that opposition claims about it are just not uh, stacked up by the reality. Um, I am absolutely willing and prepared and looking forward to putting the record of this government before the Scottish people. I know we've got more work to do in all sorts of areas, uh, but you know, here's what the International Council of Education Advisors say about Scottish education, which I think is an important antidote to those who want to not just highlight where there's more work to be done, which is absolutely right and proper, but to, to talk it down in order to do down this government. This is what they say, and I think it's important to put this on the record, presiding officer. Scottish education exhibits many strengths. It values equity as well as excellence. It has an excellent standing internationally. It is investing effort and resources to narrow attainment gaps, working with and strengthening the teaching profession. So that's the, the foundation we have, uh, and we, if we are re-elected, will work every day in the next parliament to build on that foundation. Thank you. Question for Alison Johnson. Thank you. I too send my most sincere sympathies to all who have lost a loved one during this pandemic and my most grateful thanks to all working on the front line. The link between poverty and educational attainment cannot be overstated and one of the most important moments of this parliament was in 2017 when we unanimously agreed targets to tackle child poverty. But of course, targets need action, and I'm proud that the Scottish Greens have played our part. This month's budget deal, for example, will extend free school meals to all primary school children, benefiting 200,000 children, and £100 million in pandemic relief payments will be paid to the poorest households across Scotland between now and Christmas. The pandemic is hitting the poorest families hardest, and the callous decision by the Tory government to scrap the £20 uplift to universal credit from September will, according to experts, push another 20,000 children in Scotland into poverty. First Minister, we need to do more. The Scottish Child Payment will make a difference, but it's not enough. So will the First Minister join the Greens and commit to increasing the Scottish Child Payment at the earliest opportunity? Well, I'll publish a manifesto in a few weeks' time and uh, I'll set out then the plans uh, that my party uh, would take into the next parliament if we are re-elected. But we are, of course, the party that introduced the Scottish Child Payment, uh, game-changing in the words of anti-child poverty campaigners. Because Alison Johnson is right, setting child poverty targets is important. Um, and uh, we certainly, I think we're the only part of the UK that still has that, but... Uh, I'll be corrected if I'm wrong about that, uh, but actions to back up those targets are what matter most. And uh, we are certainly the only part of the UK that has a Scottish child payment, a child payment of that nature, putting money into the pockets of uh, the, the poorest families in order that they can give children a better start in life, which then helps with their education. Uh, we've also uh, made the commitment uh, to extend free school meals to all primary school children all year round. And of course, at an earlier stage in this pandemic, which yes, we've agreed uh, to continue as part of the budget negotiations, uh, we made payments to the, the poorest families. So I think the record of this government is a strong one. There is more to be done on all of these areas, particularly in light of COVID. Uh, but one of the 
things that does make that decision and debate about the future of Scotland so important in the next parliament is that we shouldn't have to face up to these challenges with one hand tied behind our back. Because as we put more money into the pockets of the poorest families, a Tory government at Westminster takes that money out of their pockets. That's why we need to complete the powers of this parliament through independence so we can actually genuinely build the kind of country we want to see based on the values we want it to be based on. Alison Johnson. I thank the First Minister. She will be aware, of course, that the End Child Poverty Coalition is calling for a minimum £10 boost to the child payment. But another target that we will, will miss, another target passed by this Parliament that we will miss, unless we choose a different future, is our climate target. This week, the Scottish Climate Assembly, established by a Scottish Green Amendment to the Climate Bill, showed a clear appetite for more ambition from government. These are their words. If we fail to act now, we will fail our current and future generations in Scotland and across the world. Politicians must have the courage to act now. For two years in a row, climate targets have been missed. Transport emissions keep on rising. And last week, the First Minister wouldn't even speak out against the continued exploration for new fossil fuel reserves in the North Sea even though we already have far more than we could burn within the terms of the Paris Agreement. So will the First Minister find the courage to act now and make a clear statement that our future depends on leaving these reserves in the ground and issuing no further licences? First Minister. Well, firstly, we're not going to fail to act now. We're not failing to act now. Our climate change plan sets out the range of policies across all of our areas of responsibility that are necessary to take now, not just so that we get to net zero by 2045, but so that we meet our very, very ambitious interim targets along the way. And we are already a world leader in that. We are recognised by other countries in that position. We have made substantial progress. But again, as in all of these things, there is much work still to do. Um, and in terms of of the comments about oil and gas, what I spoke up for last week was a just transition, a transition to net zero that doesn't leave people behind, that doesn't leave people on the redundancy uh, scrap heap, but instead supports people working in some sectors that we do want to leave behind into the sectors of the, the future. Um, our continued uh, support for the sector in, the, the, uh, in the, the North East of Scotland is conditional upon that uh, transition to a sustainable, secure uh, and inclusive energy transition. Uh, there's no dubiety, there's no disagreement um, about the destination here, but how you make the journey matters as well to people's jobs, to their quality of life and to their living standards. And that's really important. And these are not issues uh, that the Scottish Government will ignore. Thank you. Question number five, Stuart McMillan. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister how many unpaid carers have been vaccinated to date. First Minister. As of this morning, 85,692 unpaid carers have received the first dose of the vaccination. And as I said earlier, Public Health Scotland will be publishing new data on this and other aspects of vaccination later this afternoon. Um, in the meantime, uh, I want to reiterate that the Scottish Government recognises the importance, the vital importance of protecting all those who provide care for others. Uh, and that's why we launched the NHS Inform portal last week, which allows unpaid carers to come forward and register to receive the vaccine. Stuart McMillan. 
I thank the First Minister for that reply and uh, I want to put on record my thanks to all unpaid carers who have been helping many people throughout the pandemic, particularly my Greenock and Inverclyde constituency, but also across Scotland. Does the First Minister agree with me that uh, all unpaid carers should register via the self-registration website to ensure that they are vaccinated in the priority group six? Um, yes, uh, I'll come back to that in a second, but firstly, can I uh, echo Stuart McMillan uh, and put on record my thanks to all of those who have cared and continue to care for relatives, friends and loved ones uh, through what has been a really difficult 12 months. We owe unpaid carers an enormous debt of gratitude at all times, but that is particularly true uh, in terms of the contribution they've made in the past year. In answer to the specific question, yes, I strongly encourage those who are eligible to register on the NHS Informed Portal so that they can uh, have an appointment to receive the vaccine arranged. Uh, we, to support that and make sure there is an awareness of that, as I think I said, Yesterday, we're running a national marketing campaign via digital channels, press and radio and other PR activity uh, to make sure that everybody is aware of that. But I hope unpaid carers take the opportunity to come forward and get vaccinated. Thank you. Question six, Jamie Green. Thank you. To ask the First Minister, for what reason more than 700 schools have not been inspected in over a decade? First Minister. Well, we have in Scotland a three-level approach to evaluating and improving education. Schools have a responsibility to evaluate their performance. Local authorities have statutory duties around quality improvement and reporting. And then the third level is external inspection. Education Scotland has significantly strengthened its scrutiny functions. In 2018-19, there were 252 school inspections, an increase of over 30% on the previous year. Year, and Education Scotland was on track to exceed that figure in 2019-20 before inspections had to be paused in March last year to, due to the pandemic. In addition to individual school inspections, uh, Her Majesty's Inspectors of Education also carried out national thematic inspections focused on key priorities in education. Uh, these often include visits to individual schools. Jamie Green. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. I think education rightly deserves a good airing at today's First Minister's questions. I can't think of anything more important to be shining a light on at our end of term. And no one in this chamber ever tires of thanking teachers or school staff for their efforts. But it is worth reminding the First Minister of a few key figures which she cannot blame on COVID. 400, 704 schools in Scotland have not been inspected in over a decade, but equally another 1,600 have not been inspected in the past five years. The government has also failed its own manifesto pledge to reduce classroom sizes. And despite the spin we heard earlier, there are 1,700 fewer teachers in the system than when the SNP took office. A leading architect of the SNP's own curriculum reform concluded that its implementation had actually slashed subject choice for young people, not increased it. Now, the First Minister asked to be judged on her record on education above everything else. So on this report card alone, First Minister, how would you rate your performance? First Minister. Well, that's not up to me and it's not up to Jamie Green. It's up to the Scottish people on the 6th of May and they will have that opportunity. Can I say to Jamie Green, I think education deserves an airing uh, every week at First Minister's Questions, but I don't choose the questions uh, I get asked. Ruth Davidson has chosen week after week in recent times to ask me about something completely different. So, uh, yes, it's good that the Tories are finally focusing uh, on issues that actually matter to people across the country. Um, I've set out uh, some uh, responses to the Audit Scotland report uh, in terms of inspection. I've set out uh, the, the three levels of inspection and scrutiny in Scottish education. Uh, I intend to continue uh, with the, the agreement of the Scottish people should they 
choose to give it in a few weeks' time to get on with the job uh, of increasing attainment and closing the attainment gap. Um, and uh, I'm sure the Conservatives, uh, well, I hope the Conservatives in the next session of Parliament, if they're continuing to sit here or perhaps over here, who knows, uh, that they may choose to ask more about education and health in the next session of Parliament than they have chosen to do in recent weeks in this one. Thank you. And question seven, Polly McNeill. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to reports that local authorities with the highest deprivation rates are least likely to approve self-isolation support grant applications. First Minister. Uh, local authorities have built the self-isolation support grant to fit within the wider COVID supports that they have in their area. Uh, variation in the number of applications and the award rate for the grant depend on, of course, the spread of the virus, and there's not a consistent link between deprivation and award rate. However, areas of high deprivation tend to make a greater number of awards. From early engagement with local authorities, a major reason for applications being rejected was because they were from people who earned more than the income threshold for the grant, and we have significantly increased this threshold uh, from February. We will begin to report the impact of the updated eligibility from April, uh, and we will continue to work with COSLA and local authorities to identify further potential improvements. Thank you, Paula McNeill. So overall, fewer than one in three people in Scotland have applied for a self-isolation grant has received one. And worryingly, approval rates as as low as one in six in some council areas is rapidly becoming a postcode lottery. For example, in North Lanarkshire and Glasgow, two of the council areas with the highest deprivation levels, success rates are below 20% for success of applications. Whereas in Edinburgh, um, those who have applied for the grant, nearly 50% were successful. So I wonder if First Minister agrees that this wide variation suggests that there's something not quite right about the system, particularly if areas of high deprivation have such low success rates. Would the First Minister commit to an urgent review of the scheme to ensure that there's a higher success rate, particularly in areas of high deprivation where our poorest communities might be losing out? Well, I, I don't think we need to have uh, an urgent review because we are reviewing this on an ongoing basis and actually the changes we've already made to eligibility would, would bear that out. We are responding where we think changes are required to make sure that more people get access to this. And we actually uh, see the number of applications being, being approved is increasing. Uh, so in uh, January, awards were 33% higher uh, application 36% higher than was the case in December. Um, and of course, eligibility has been extended. Uh, so we'll continue to look carefully at that. Some of the variation between local authorities, not necessarily all of it, and that is something we need to, to look carefully at, but some of that will be explained by the fact that some local authorities have different supports in place. So self-isolation is part of a wider uh, arrangement of, of how people are being supported. Uh, but this is something that we do look at regularly uh, and we'll continue to make changes as we think is necessary to ensure that people are getting the support they need to self-isolate because we know self-isolation is going to continue to be a key part of our defence against COVID. Thank you. Turn to supplementaries. Sandra White to be followed by Liam Kerr. Sandra White. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Uh, First Minister, tuition fees in England and Wales have been mired in broken promises. Uh, the Tories, instead of keeping fees low, have bumped them up, making it much harder for students from backgrounds of you know, deprivation, deprived areas, accessing higher education. Can I ask the First Minister, if re-elected, will she commit to maintain free tuition 
and agree with me that students with, who should not leave university with a mountain of debt before they have even started work. Yes, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with Sandra White and as long as I'm First Minister there will be no tuition fees in Scotland and that is a commitment uh, that I make very strongly. And I, I say that not just politically, um, I, I say that personally. Had there been tuition fees when I was younger, it is unlikely that I would have gone to university. And having had the opportunity of a university education, I think it would be wrong for me to take that opportunity away from others. Um, Presiding officer, Sandra White raises this question, and I think it's appropriate that she does so in what uh, I think will be her last contribution um, in this chamber, because Sandra White, of course, represents uh, a large number of students and has represented them extremely well, as she has represented her entire constituency extremely well. I've been uh, a colleague from Glasgow uh, in this chamber with Sandra since 1999. She's made an outstanding contribution. Uh, she's a great colleague, a great friend, and we are going to miss her greatly, and I wish her all the best in her retirement. Thank you, Mr. President. Liam Kerr to be followed by Jenny Mara. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Less than two hours ago, Aberdeen was rocked by the announcement that after more than 30 years in the city, John Lewis in Aberdeen will not reopen. This comes just two weeks after Debenhams shut the doors of its Aberdeen store. 265 employees are potentially redundant, and given that BHS remains empty five years after closing, Arcadia has shut several stores in the city, and Debenhams is now empty. This is a bleak look outlook for the Aberdeen High Street. So what will the government do to help these employees and reinvigorate Aberdeen retail post-pandemic? And does the First Minister now agree that the SNP's decision to delay the business rates revaluation has had a devastating impact on businesses in Aberdeen? First Minister. Well, firstly, the, the news from John Lewis this morning is a real blow to Aberdeen, and, and my thoughts are with all of the employees of John Lewis who will be affected. Um, as the member is aware, uh, the Aberdeen store is one of the only one in Scotland, but one of a number uh, across the UK that John Lewis has decided not to reopen uh, after lockdown. So I think the reason he puts forward for that simply doesn't bear any scrutiny at all. Uh, but he does raise an important issue, and he's right to raise it. Uh, the Scottish Government will be engaging uh, with John Lewis directly. The, the PACE initiative will be uh, there to help affected employees and of course we will engage with Aberdeen City Council. Uh, the revitalisation uh, of our high streets is going to be one of the, the real priorities uh, as we come out of lockdown and out of this pandemic um, and there is work we will do with local authorities, uh, with the Scottish Retail Consortium to make sure that we are, are taking forward the right steps there but in the short term of course we will do everything we can to support the affected employees. Thank you. Jenny Mara to be followed by Willie Coffey. Breast cancer waiting times in Tayside are now 17 weeks from GP referral to first appointment. As the First Minister knows, this is a severe breach of government recommended maximum waiting times and an eternity for patients. I asked the First Minister about this a month ago. She said she'd get more detail and come back to me. I've heard nothing. Women are worried and are waiting long times. Will the First Minister now look into this today, please, and tell me what is being done before this Parliament ends? First Minister. Uh, we have already uh, taken action here. So, uh, for example, and I, I know uh, Jenny Mara is stepping down 
from Parliament, uh, but I will ask the Health Secretary to give more detail of this uh, later today. Uh, but both Glasgow and Edinburgh are providing assistance to uh, Dundee to help with uh, the waiting times there so that women uh, are not waiting uh, inordinate amount of times for the, the breast uh, cancer care that they need. Uh, this is a really important matter. Part of the remobilisation and recovery of the health service uh, is making sure that any uh, cancer treatments or cancer care that has been delayed, and most cancer care will have proceeded uh, as it should have done, uh, that there is a, a catch-up on that as quickly as possible. Uh, but we have already uh, taken steps to deal with the situation in Tayside. Uh, as I said earlier, we will get further information today uh, to Jenny Manor, but since uh, this is likely, I would imagine, to be Jenny Mara's uh, last contribution to Parliament. Can I take the opportunity to wish her well in the future as well? Thank you. Willie Coffey to be followed by Maurice Corrie. Willie Coffey. Thank you. Further to the question that was asked by Liam Kerr, I suppose, to ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government will support town centres to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. First Minister. Well, we're providing... Uh, financial support uh, to businesses in uh, town centres, uh, to all businesses, but many of them will be in town centres, so grants for uh, retailers and for the hospitality and uh, leisure industry uh, will be paid in April. That will uh, include support for closure, uh, final support for closure, as well as uh, start-up support. Uh, we've also, of course, extended 100% non-domestic rates relief uh, for retail, leisure and hospitality premises for the entirety of the next financial year. Uh, the place-based investment programme uh, will also help uh, progress some of the steps we need to take to support town centres uh, and wider community-led regeneration. Um, and this week, of course, we have published a joint response with COSLA to the report of the Town Centre Action Plan review, and we'll be working with partners to respond fully to its recommendations if we return to government at the election. Thank you. Maurice Corrie, to be followed by Jackie Bailey. Uh, presiding officer, thank you. Um, on leaving the British Armed Forces, many veterans are experiencing very long delays with their GP surgeries in getting access to their military health records. Now, this could delay GPs in diagnosing health issues with veterans. Would the First Minister ensure that this matter is addressed as soon as possible to prevent the veterans' health issues increasing due to this unnecessary delay? First Minister. Um, I will undertake to look into the specific uh, issue that the member is raising. Um, I, I hope there is a general acceptance and agreement that we take uh, health care of veterans extremely seriously. They should have uh, access to health care in the, the same way anybody does, and we uh, have taken our wider responsibilities to veterans extremely seriously. But on the specific points, I'm happy to uh, look into that and have the Health Secretary write to the member as quickly as possible. Jackie Bailey, to be followed by Christine Graham. The First Minister has acknowledged the catastrophic failure of the Scottish Government in the handling of harassment complaints, and I welcome the First Minister's comments. The development of the policy was flawed, the appointment of the investigating officer was wrong, and even documents were withheld from the Court of Session. I do not believe that the First Minister is happy with any of that. So why, three years on, has no one assumed responsibility? Why does the First Minister still have confidence in the Permanent Secretary who presided over all of this terrible mess? First Minister. Well, you see, I take responsibility for what happens within the Scottish Government, and I take responsibility for acknowledging when things go wrong and also for putting right uh, things that go wrong. And, 
Uh, many things matter to me uh, if I'm re-elected as First Minister, as we've uh, had reflected over this First Minister's questions. There are many, many priorities and uh, many things in my entry and, and on my desk. But a uh, few things matter more to me than making sure that we have a culture within the Scottish Government where anybody who believes uh, that they have been uh, subject to harassment uh, can come forward uh, and have confidence and trust that their complaints will be listened to uh, and addressed properly. Uh, the Government did make a mistake in this, and I have certainly uh, never shied away from that. But I will also never shy away from saying this. It made a mistake in the course of trying to do the right thing. Uh, because uh, the government was determined that unlike what would have undoubtedly happened in years gone by, uh, complaints like this would not simply be swept under the carpet. And that's the right starting point. What we have to do now is put right the things that went wrong so that uh, mistakes are not made in the future. I deeply regret and have apologised and will continue to apologise to the women who were let down. The final point is this, and I, I, I don't say it in an adversarial sense, but I hope Jackie Bailey will also reflect on the fact that the committee, in doing its important work, also let down uh, women in leaking uh, misrepresentations of their evidence. So we've all got things to learn from this, and I hope we all learn the important lessons that are there for all of us. Christine Graham, to be followed by Brian Whittle. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. First Minister, I note that the Scottish Census has been deferred to March next year. Can I ask if that's a consequence of the COVID pandemic? First Minister. Uh, yes, that was a consequence of the, the COVID uh, pandemic. I know other uh, nations across the UK uh, took a different decision, and uh, you know, I think there have been controversies related to that. Uh, but we want to see the census happen uh, on its renewed uh, timescale, because obviously the information it provides with us is incredibly important. Brian Whittle to be followed by Bill Kidd. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Um, as we all know, the pandemic has impacted so much of our daily life, but something that hasn't, I haven't heard mentioned is the recruitment for clinical trials. These trials are crucial to the development of new medicines and treatments and can give hope to so many. So can I ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government are doing to ensure clinical trials are fully restarted? First Minister. Um, I will make sure we get some information on exactly uh, what is happening across the whole range of clinical trials, but steps have already been taken by the Chief Scientist's Office to make sure that clinical trials do restart. Scotland's got a very, very good record in recruitment to clinical trials and indeed to clinical uh, and medical research overall. And of course, over the course of the pandemic, it has played its part in recruiting uh, people into the trials of the vaccines, uh, which has been really, uh, really important. So as is the case with all aspects of healthcare, there is a, a real focus now on getting things back to normal as quickly and as safely as possible. Bill Kidd, to be followed by Lee MacArthur. Thank you, President Officer. Uh, First Minister, in an interview with the BBC, Keir Starmer has claimed that in these elections, Scotland's, Trident isn't on the ballot paper because that isn't a matter for Holyrood. However, here um, in Holyrood, Labour voted in 2015 to oppose nuclear weapons, which was brilliant. Does the First Minister agree that spending increasing billions on weapons of mass destruction is disgraceful? And it's clear that Keir Starmer has proven once and for all you can't ride two electoral horses when it comes to scrapping nuclear weapons. First Minister. I'm sure I, I look forward, uh, by this time next week, we'll be taking, forward in, uh, taking part in all sorts of election debates. So I look forward to Anas Sarwar uh, 
uh, proudly uh, articulating Scottish Labour's policy uh, of unilateral nuclear disarmament, of getting rid of Trident nuclear weapons from the Clyde. And if he's not going to do that, then I will have to assume that Keir Starmer has, has not allowed him to do it. But we'll find this out in the course of the election campaign. Um, Nuclear. Uh, Anna Sarwar is saying he's the boss. I think we might find out over the course of the campaign uh, whether, and this will actually be a real test, won't it? Whether Anna Sarwar backs Scottish Labour's policy on nuclear weapons or whether the policy of Keir Starmer and Jackie Bailey uh, will actually prevail. I, I'm looking forward to finding out the answer to that question. Anyway, nuclear weapons, in my view, are immoral, but they are also a grotesque waste of money, money we should be investing in health and education and conventional defences. And I will continue, as I've done for my entire life, uh, to put forward the case for unilateral nuclear disarmament and getting rid of Trident from the Clyde once and for all. And Lee MacArthur. Thank you. Last week, the First Minister's statement left our island communities in limbo. While the rest of Scotland prepares for restrictions to be eased from 26th of April, islanders remain in the dark. According to the First Minister yesterday, they'll remain in the dark for a further, quote, few weeks. Consultations now being launched by the government, though not one that included the local council or the local MSP. It sets out a binary choice for islanders of staying in level three, despite no cases for weeks, or moving to level two with tighter travel restrictions in and out of the islands. Why was this consultation not undertaken before last week's announcement? And does the First Minister still believe she's following the data and the science? First Minister. Yeah, the data says that if you allow people to come together and allow travel, then cases of this virus will rise, and, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, it, it feels here that whatever we'd have done, um, Liam MacArthur might have criticised. If we decided just to impose a decision on the islands, uh, no doubt we would have been accused of being centralist and, and not listening to, to islanders' views. Uh, and because we've decided to consult and take views before reaching a decision, we're uh, being accused of leaving islands in limbo. Uh, neither of those things are correct. There's a really difficult decision for islands here uh, between uh, going down a level as the data uh, would at the moment justify, but opening up their economies as well. Unfortunately, because of the nature of the virus and the threats it poses, it is not necessarily possible. Uh, immediately to do both of these things and therefore we want to come to an agreement with islands about which of the options are best for them and I actually think that is the right way to proceed rather than simply taking a decision here in Edinburgh and trying to impose it on islands uh, from the centre and we'll take that decision in partnership with islands as quickly as possible. Thank you very much and apologies to the half dozen members I wasn't able to select but that concludes a point of order Elaine Smith. Thanks very, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. As we are um, going into recess for the election after today, I wonder if you can advise how the Scottish Government can be held to account on the regulations. I'm sure you'll know that today the regulation on the closure, forced closure of churches in Scotland was deemed unlawful. And so I'm concerned, obviously, as uh, the Parliament comes to a close, how we can actually hold the government to account to ensure that there are no other unlawful regulations or to ensure that churches in Scotland are not again forced to close. 
Uh, thank Ms. Smith from the point of order. Uh, this matter was discussed at length uh, at the Bureau, in fact, several times at the Bureau. Um, the Bureau agreed that we would go into recess and we'd observe that. There is a facility for the COVID committee, if it feels necessary, uh, to meet scrutinised legislation. However, they've made it clear that they will only do so in an emergency. Uh, I imagine that there will be calls for recall. However, can I just make it clear now that I will not be recalling Parliament unless there really is an emergency. Uh, members are always free to put their points across the, uh, in the newspapers in the normal way. Thank you for the point of order. And that concludes First Minister's questions. We will suspend and resume at 2.30.